Though healthcare is seemingly one of the more stable sectors in this most turbulent of economic times, many practitioners struggle to subdue rising costs. For patients who may be unable to pay up front, can you employ effective payment plans that won't sidetrack your financial outlook? What else can we do to maintain our practice while struggling with the burden of these tough times? You're listening to ReachMD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Pector, a family physician practicing in Naperville, Illinois, just west of Chicago, and a member of the editorial board for Medical Economics Magazine. Dr. Pector, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we live in interesting times, don't we? Certainly. What do you see as the first thing that's really the most important key to kind of keeping our head above water, even just in the front desk of the office? I think really from the front desk to the back desk, some attention to people's skills and making people feel like they're getting good service is probably the most important thing and often difficult to keep in mind when we as physicians and our front desk staff are feeling stressed by economics too. In addition to that, once you get through those basic customer service, customer-friendly aspects, making sure that you have the billing staff and front desk staff working together under the direction of a capable office manager is probably the best way to keep the business on track. When did a doctor's office become more like a hotel in terms of having to focus on customer service so much? It seems like we've really just become a commodity and we really have to do focus so much more on things that we never had to before. I think there's probably a couple answers to that. Old-time docs may have either had more time or seemed just more naturally like they took more time with people. I've been in practice about 22 years, and I'd say some of the consumerism aspect to medicine probably has been the last 12 to 15 years or so in terms of people viewing doctors not as necessarily a relationship, but a service in a consumer transaction. And I don't think that's something that physicians introduced. Certainly, that's not what I train for to do customer service, but just the reality and knowing that there are other alternative types of practitioners as well as other physicians in my specialty out there that are willing to see somebody if I'm not nice to them. You know, there needs to be a little bit more attention paid to respecting our clients and not just assuming they'll always be there. It's interesting. I get a lot of new patients just from being disgruntled with other physicians' front office staff. They'll tell me, I loved my doctor. He or she was a great physician, but I just could not deal with that front office staff, which is which is so sad. But I, you know, I feel bad when they tell me because I worry that I'm going to make the same mistake, <laughs> that my front office staff is going to, you know, my front office staff is going to disappoint them too. Yeah, we've had to work at that with our staff. I think we have a fairly good crew now, but if they're not feeling happy or they're not feeling respected and appreciated by the manager and by me, it shows up front. And I've actually had patients who either work in other practices or work in consumer relations tell us at times when they're feeling that they haven't been greeted well. A lot of it is just simple basics, eye contact, addressing somebody by name, you know, preferably Mr. Jones or Mrs. Smith, you know, welcoming them, thanking them after getting their copay or taking their insurance card or something like that. You know, a little bit of courtesy goes a long way. You know, you mentioned the copay, and to patients, they feel that 
That's all we're interested in is getting their copay as if we made up this rule of the copay that we just want to get them in the office for that $20 that somehow that's going to magically affect our lives and, and make us rich beings. And we have to constantly educate them. You know, your insurance company created the copay concept. I don't care about the copay. This is not my rules. And, you know, we need to see you. We don't want your copay. We need to see you because that's good medicine. What do you say to those people? I usually try to leave it somewhat in the hands of the front desk, but what I've told my manager to try to pass along to staff is that co-pays are part of the whole contract that both the patient and we are, you know, responsible for, and the co-pay often is a sizable amount of the total reimbursement, up to a third of what we may get for a typical office visit. So. We do try to put it in those terms that it's part of a legal contractual obligation. Actually, we may be violating the terms of the contract by refusing to take a copay. I'm not sure how well that line of reasoning works, but you know, it's something that we try to make a responsibility for them just as providing good care is a responsibility for us. Dr. Pector, last week my front office manager came up to me and said, Mrs. Jones, and that's that's not her real name, and I'm sorry if any Mrs. Jones out there are being offended, but Mrs. Jones is in collections and she's calling for a refill on her albuterol inhaler. Should I deny it? And I said, no, <laughs> of course not. No, you can't deny care. That would be considered abandonment. And she said, well, I'm just looking out for you, Dr. Kaskill. I, you know, I don't want to enable these people to keep getting care here. And, and so she's trying to get our money, but yet she doesn't realize that it, it's complicated. Yeah, I think anything that's an emergency situation, acute illness with an existing patient or a new complication definitely needs to be seen. At the same time, we do need to inform patients that they do have a balance and we will see them, but we'll want them to talk with the manager or the billing staff when they come in to make arrangements for some sort of payment, you know, toward their balance and you know, toward their care so they don't keep building up more of a debt, but that we certainly want to see them refill things. I do have patients trying to avoid co-pays and stretch out time between visits, and my nurses are usually fairly good and relatively stern about intercepting some of those requests, and we just tell them that, you know, basic minimum standards of care for certain conditions call for lab work or office visits every three to six months in we really don't feel that we're giving good care if they stretch it beyond that. Right. Patients think that the medicines they're on are like candy, and they can just be on them for a year and have no sort of follow-up. They can be on antidepressants that have numerous side effects, antihypertensives, and they just don't get it. But if you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, your host. My guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Pector, a family physician and editorial board member for Medical Economics Magazine. We're talking about the difficulties in keeping up with financial demands of a practice in these tough times. Dr. Pector, what are you, what's your current personal major concern or major gripe that you feel is a current issue in basic medical practice? Yeah, I think the major thing is an overriding concern that primary care physicians really are not being reimbursed adequately for all the extras that we provide. We used to be able to do things for free and can't do that anymore. And, you know, I'm hoping that with some of the political changes and regulatory changes that we'll see, 
that perhaps will get more stipends for care coordination. I would prefer to see that up front without needing doctors to jump through more hoops for NCQA certification or actually for some of the electronic medical record vendors out there, they're having to jump through their own hoops and we need less acrobatics and more common sense payment for things that we have been doing and that EMR vendors have been doing on their part to help make care more efficient and cost-effective. What would you think is a fair increase? You know, we say we want to be paid more, we're paid too little. How would you want it to play out? Do you want to get paid more for a 213, a 214, or do you want some sort of flat fee paid to family practitioners for for creating the medical home, which you probably already have created? Yes, and that's one of my assertions is that most primary care physicians, whether it's family physicians, internists, or pediatricians, are already providing continuity of care and comprehensive care and a monthly or quarterly patient management fee per member per month type of thing just for electing us as their primary care provider would be great. I would be thrilled if I could average a total of like 130, 135% Medicare, basically if we actually got our fee schedule instead of having to give discounts to PPOs that end up paying us 110 to 115% thinking that that's adequate, but it would be nice to have something based on someone being enrolled in a practice, you know, expected to be in at least once in a year for some continuity wellness care. That might cut into some of the concierge-type practices, reason for existence, but I have a lot of patients that I've acquired from colleagues who've been in practice for 15 to 20 years who say, I really like Dr. So-and-so, but I can't afford to pay him or her 1500 a year just to be able to get in the door to get a physical. Right. You know, one of the other things you've written about is that patients complain a lot about when they receive both illness and wellness care the same day. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with that and maybe some tricks or pearls or some wisdom we can pass on to our patients? Yeah, I don't have loads of wisdom, but I do try to, you know, explain and have my staff explain that addressing basic things like, you know, health habits, nutrition, exercise, and doing a head-to-toe review of systems and exam is kind of a separate thing than addressing all of their chronic illnesses and the specific things that come up with diabetes care or addressing their knee pain or depression or asthma and especially when there are so many sub-screenings, such as for depression with diabetes or asthma action plan writing and asthma control test questions to gauge control, there are more elements of care that come into chronic illness management that aren't necessarily part of a healthy 35-year-old coming in with everything being fine. On average, I probably take about 20 to 25 minutes for the healthy person and can take easily another 10 to 15 minutes added on to try to quickly get through the illness things. The problem is not many PPOs will even allow us to bill the patient for the secondary service. And it's better for the patient, more cost-effective, one less copay, if they can get everything done in one day. But unfortunately, even though my academy made some progress to try to get those recognizers, only two PPO 
providers that in some form or fashion recognize both services the same day. Many a patient that comes in for a wellness, when I walk in the room, it's not a wellness. It's They have a shopping list of all their complaints they've saved up all year, and they want to address it at their wellness. And so I will say, listen, I have 30 minutes to spend with you today. We can do a wellness or we can go through your shopping list. But if we do both, you'll get shortchanged on both. And I'd rather do good care at both. So I think we should have two separate appointments. And sometimes they'll say okay to that. Other times they usually don't balk when I tell them I want to give them good care and that I like to run on time. And they usually will respect that and come back for another visit. How about you? I commend you for being that upfront with things about the best way that we end up getting away with that is if a woman schedules for a well woman, happens to get her period on that day and then says, well, I had three or four things I wanted to talk to Dr. Pector about anyway, so how about if I see her for that? We are able to talk some people into coming in to review labs on a separate day. Often the way I end up addressing it is I'll go through the illness thing, you know, along with all my usual standard wellness questions, write out a relatively complicated plan, and if we're planning lab work, some radiology things and some outside tests, maybe a stress test, I'll recommend that the patient come back in about a month to review everything in detail, and they're often a little bit more accepting to a follow-up visit to review some of the things that we didn't get done before a visit so we can actually review data face-to-face. So one way or another, we often end up getting the extra visit in there. And, you know, now what we do is we have them come in a week before for their blood work and their EKG and all their testing so that when I see them and and I'm in front of them the next week, I can actually make some intelligent recommendations based on their labs instead of doing post hoc phone calls, which are ridiculous. I hate practicing medicine over the phone. When we're able to plan that way, I've tried that and I have that as language and encouragement in my practice brochure, which patients may or may not read when it's actually given to them. With new patients, it's obviously a little impossible to do that. We get a fair number of new people as well as returns, but we have been encouraging our return patients before either a wellness exam or a chronic illness management visit to definitely get you know everything they can do ahead of time so we're not doing all that later follow-up. Well, Dr. Pector, I truly enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you very much. My guest was Dr. Elizabeth Pector, a family physician and editorial board member for Medical Economics Magazine. And we were talking about different ways of keeping up with financial demands on our practices. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.